a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text, your official podcast for books on the Clashing Sabers Network. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Boylan, and with me is a lady that is hipper than Cad Bane riding a motorcycle in summer at Venice Beach on a Tuesday. I'm just going to keep adding things. It's Lindsay. Oh, do I get the hat too if I get to be cooler than Cad Bane? Can I at least get his hat? Is it is it really Cad Bane without the hat? I mean, let's be no, honest. I guess Cad Bane a- is just he's just a hat. He's like a coat rack. But just for a half. You know what would be funny? If he actually like had a full set of hair under that. Oh my God. <laughs> you imagine Cad Bane with just some luscious Kylo Ren locks? Oh, no, no, no. I'm thinking more like Filoni cowboy hat hair. That's mm. what I'm thinking. That would be good. I like where your head's at. Ah, ah, see what you did there? I see what you did there. <laughs> so, Lindsay, what's new with you? What is new with me? Well, for starters, I'm in the Northeast, not like you and your nice weather. So I am watching the snow come down now. I actually thought I would get home early from work tonight and we could record this a little earlier. So I left about an hour early from work and still got home at the same time. So things are a little hectic up in the Northeast right now. But I'm hoping tonight I can use that to uh, to my advantage and have an excuse to stay on the couch all night and maybe watch a little Rogue One after we talk about this this book that we have coming up. I like how you think you need an excuse to lay on the couch and watch Rogue One. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know what? It's a Wednesday. I think I'll watch. <laughs> you know, so, so at work, uh, one of the guys I work with, He's so cool. He's so chill. And he gives me a fun fact Friday. He knows how much I love Star Wars, but he's really into a lot of like the behind the scenes type stuff and all those trivia things. So he gives me fun fact Fridays and he was out last Friday, but he told one of his coworkers on his team, he goes, I do this for Lindsay every Friday. You need to look something up and give it to her. So sure enough, She pings me on Friday. She goes, I have no idea what this means. She goes, Derek left me this note. I'm supposed to give you a fun fact. She goes, I have to be honest. I've never seen Star Wars. I was like, it's totally cool. Love that he asked you to do that. I was like, just Google anything, though, and see what you come up with, and let's see if I know it. And the fun fact she gave me was that in every movie Yoda is in, he actually has a different number of finger and fingers and toes. What? And it's never been consistent. And I go, I said to her, I go, I never heard that. And I absolutely love it. Especially because now when people ask me why I just sat and watched Star Wars all weekend, you just gave me the perfect excuse. I was like, I was going to do it anyway. 
<laughs> I was probably going to do it anyway, but now you gave me the excuse. That is awesome. Oh, my. Is that? I got to go back and watch all the movies now. Yeah. Yeah. We really got to focus on that. God, I feel like such a failure. You know what? I'm just I'm done. I'm handing in my. I mean, card. who knows? Maybe maybe it's not true. Maybe it's exaggerated. But there is only one way for us to find out. Yeah, you're right. And we got to do it. You know, what? I, for the fandom, I will suffer. I, I will I will sit down and I will watch the movies. It's going to be hard, but I think it's going to be I think it's going to be good. I'll do it. You spoil us. I do what I can. I'm just one man, you know, just one man. <laughs> um, so on the last episode, I talked about reading um, Cloak of Deception. So I've gotten a little bit further into that. And I'm starting to starting to dig it now. It got past the explaining what a trade federation ship looks like. And then it kind of picked up. Uh, so that was really good. I'm sorry, but it was literally <laughs> good old James Lucina. It was three pages of explaining what a trade federation ship looked like. I'm like, couldn't you have just put start episode one, two minutes in? Yeah, that's the ship. <laughs> keep keep going. Like, really? Come on now. Throw it on the cover. Just say, look at the cover. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little uh, little intro. Like that's the crawl of the book. The ship that I'm going to talk about <laughs> is on the cover. Here you go. Um, but I, I'm digging, so I'm not going to go too deep into it cause I know you're going to pick it up soon. Um, but oh, it's really okay. starting to show the machinations of Palpatine, which is super, super awesome. Um, but in other news, so I don't know if they have this store where you're at, because I know Fode is in Delaware and he said he doesn't have this, but we have a half price books, uh, chain here. Do you guys have that up in New York? No, I've never heard of them. Okay, so it's a used bookstore, and you can do, go do resales and everything. And it's very dangerous because there's one in the same shopping center that we go to uh, pretty much every weekend to get, like, groceries and stuff. So we magically just always end up at Half Price Books. I don't know how it happens. It just happens. Um, it's So we went last weekend because, um, actually, we went to – there was a party sitting next, th- next to there. I'm, I'm decorating my room with more Star Wars stuff for a thing that we're doing. And so I was like, we're right next door. I guess we're going over. So had a big, uh, they had a big sale going on. And, and normally, for those of you who don't know, it's it's called Half Price Books, and that's what they do. They sell book, books for half the cover price. Shocking. But uh, so I always, of course, go to the Star Wars section, see if there's anything I need. So I picked up Darth Maul's Shadowhunter, because that'll be my next uh, Expanded Universe book. But then I was like, you know what? I haven't been over to the sales section in a while. I'm going to go over there. And I found not one, not two, not three, four books, four Star Wars hardcover books on sale for $3 a piece with like 50% off. So they were $1.50 a pop. No way. Yes. I got two copies of the Revenge of the Sith novelization. Stay tuned to our episode coming in March on Revenge of the Sith for how you can win that. Um, one of them is for me because I deserve it. I put in a lot of work, guys. I deserve this. Uh, and then there's Darksaber, and I'm not going to lie. I forgot what the other one was, but it's from the New Jedi Order. So, yeah, we're going to be giving those away soon on uh, Don't Burn the Sacred Text, so make sure you stay tuned to that. But uh, as this one is coming out, we are doing our Cad Bane giveaway uh, over on the main show. So make sure you go over and listen to our Attack of the Clones episode to to see how you can win that. Spoiler alert, 
just go leave us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. And if we're not on your podcatcher of choice, please let me know. I want to get on there. Um, I know a lot of people listen on iTunes. Um, we're over on SoundCloud too, which uploads to a lot of places. But if we are not there where you like to listen to podcasts uh, and you, you are listening to this episode right now, I'm not sure how you found it, but uh, please let us know. <laughs> see, that's what they call a radio segue. You see how I did all of that? Just like one. I didn't even plan Love that. it. So smooth. God. You know, I re- I'm really the hero of fandom. Let's be honest. It's it's me. You know, I'm, I'm going to support that claim. <laughs> oh, man. With, with you said you watched Star Wars for us. You have these great radio segues for us. What a guy. I'm, I'm a giver. That's what I am. I'm wizard. That's what the kids say. You know what happened the other day? You're a wizard, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> the other day, I was like, so, I know I'm not cool. And the kids know I'm not cool. And the kids know that I don't pretend to be cool. So sometimes I'll just mess with them, like, trying to pretend that I'm hip. And I said, uh, yeah, everything's Gucci the other day. Thinking, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And literally, the three girls, I just had, like, a group in my room helping me do stuff. And they just turned to me and they go, ew, that was so last year. Like, it was literally out Stop. of Mean Girls. They literally said it like that. Nobody says that, Mr. Boylan. The little mini plastics. Oh, my God. It was scary. It was. Oh, my God. It's so funny, though, that you say it because I still say that, too, at work all the time. I go, all right, yo, guys, we Gucci. (laughs) Get out. Just go. Oh, you need to leave. (laughs) You don't deserve to be here. I feel like that pretty much all the time in any room that I walk into. It's, It's just how I live my life. At least, at least your students keep you in check. <laughs> they have no problem doing that. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. Uh, if I wasn't humble before, don't worry, people. I get humbled every single day. Uh, yeah. It's a, if you work around kids, you know they are nothing if not honest. Uh, when it's convenient for them. <laughs> when they don't want to be go. honest, they are not. Anyways. That's other information. We got some Rebel Rising to get into, and I want to dig into it right away because on our last episode for Catalyst, I mentioned that uh, I really wanted Rogue One to be a trilogy because of how awesome it was, and you kind of mentioned this to me later on that in a way, this and Catalyst kind of makes it exactly that. It's kind of the Rogue One trilogy, so... How do you feel that Rebel Rising added to the Rogue One trilogy? I think it really completed it out for me. And what I'm going to be interested to see is where you and I end up with Rebel Rising and what we think about it. Because we're starting from such different places. Because while you are super, super into Rogue One... It took me a while to warm up to it. Now, you know, almost a year and a half later, I like it a lot more than I initially did. And it's definitely higher up in my ranks. But initially, I was pretty lukewarm on Rogue One. And it really was um, getting to talk about Catalyst a little bit more. And then when Rebel Rising came out and getting to see these characters in a more complete sense... That's when I was like, all right, Rogue One's pretty good. So to me, Rebel Rising is like Catalyst in the sense that it's essential for the story and for the characters. 
That's really interesting that you say that because the first note on my page literally reads, this book seems unnecessary. No. Yes. And okay, it's not because it's not a good book. And I still, I, I do actually really love this book, but I don't think it adds really anything that you don't get in Catalyst or the Rogue One novelization. It goes deeper into those, um, but I feel like those books do a better job of developing the ancillary parts that you, you need to go with it. And I think the major, the, the major thread for this, this story is, you know, why Jin hates the Empire and the Rebels, and I feel like that is perfectly explained in Rogue One, so we didn't necessarily need that. I say unnecessary, though, with the caveat being, I love this book. Like, I really, really do. I just don't know if we, air quotes, needed it. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean, and I think this kind of goes back to what I was thinking initially with, are we going to end up on separate places because we started at separate places? For me, one of the issues I had, and really maybe still have, with Rogue One is that I've never totally connected with Jin. And while, yes, it is very understandable for me to sit there and say, or maybe put down on paper, Jin doesn't like the Empire for this reason. Jin doesn't like the Rebellion for this reason. I never before this book really cared. Up until this point, I was kind of just like, yeah, whatever. Jin, Jin has her thing. It's fine. Take it or leave it. Rebel Rising, though, absolutely made me feel for her that much more in a much more empathetic way than I thought that I would. Yeah, and I get that because you you get more time with her and the and, and her family. But I think really having the the amount of time we spend with Saw so much outweigh the out the time that she spends with the other family, I think um, is really what makes it just not feel, I don't even know the words to exactly put on it. The whole, the whole relationship between Hatter and Jin was just kind of blah for me. Um, Like I see its purpose, but I would have preferred if we had seen more of Jin and Akshaya uh, because Jin lost her mom, who was such a wonderful mother, finally gets this person to step in, and we get basically no image of how she really feels about the situation. Um, and, and I don't feel like we even get enough of how Aksaya feels about Jin, because like they've both lost the other person. She's lost a daughter. Jin's lost a mother. So I feel like this relationship there should have been the focus of the book, whereas the relationship between Saw and Jin became the focus of the book and in doing so i just i i didn't feel the emotional depth uh that you're mentioning you connected with with Jin. see i would say that it that exact point shows why Jin's main driver is that anger that she feels Because she always seemed to have that really positive image of her mother. You know, she works so hard to protect the crystal. And she has this really endearing image and slight memory of her mother. And she wants to honor that. So for me, that's why um, 
I know you listen to the audiobooks and I read it, so you're so much better at the pronunciation. But her and Akshaya seem to be less important to her because in her mind, she always had that caring mother figure at some point. And she was okay with that. And she felt a little bit more whole with that. Whereas she felt so betrayed and so confused by what Galen did that she was maybe always looking for that father figure, thinking that she could have found it in Saw and just had the ultimate betrayal there. And that anger is probably why her more important relationship was always with a fatherly figure and her anger is what kept her going throughout Rebel Rising and throughout Rogue One. Yeah, that's a good point, which brings up a a major question that I had from this book, which is, do we think that Saul really loved Jin? Not just like felt protective over her, not just felt like a fatherly... I, words are, are not working right now. Fatherly right, which is not the right way to say it, but hopefully you understand what I mean. Uh, I do. Like, yeah. did a, he feel the attachment to her? Yeah, 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 paternal instinct. Did he feel that attachment to her, or was it truly love that motivated him to do what he did? I think he, while he did feel that love for Jen, I think that was genuine. And I think he showed it in the best way he knew how, which was, let me make sure that I raised her to be strong enough and she can protect herself. And I'm going to do what's best for her, even though it's really hard for me. That's why I think it was a very genuine love, just not how we typically see it. I still don't think saw is a good guy though. Oh no. You know, I, yeah, yeah. And I think I think that was one of the reasons why I'm really compelled for the to this story too, is because their interactions in Rogue One were so weird to me. And I I mean that's one of the common criticisms criticisms of Rogue One. It had nothing to do with Whitaker's performance by any means. It had nothing to do with Saw being old and not quite as agile as when we last saw him. One of the weirdest parts of the movie for me is he has that line, you know, Jin, we're friends, aren't we? And that line was like pretty off-putting for me, really. Because it's it's just a matter of, okay, you haven't seen her in years. Clearly there was this big betrayal. I don't think I could ever classify you guys as friends. And now seeing or reading this book, it actually makes that line more alarming for me because at no point did Saw seem to think of them as just friends. Saw even refers to her as his daughter when she's very young and growing up. And it's always my daughter, my child, not friends. Um, so, I, I mean, I certainly think that Saw did love her in that very paternal way, and he thought he was doing the right thing. It's just, he wasn't, you know, there's no way around it. Saw's not, not a good guy. Well, and he he doesn't really understand how relationships work, I don't think, because we see him being very, uh, I mean, I think in Clone Wars, it's very toxic masculinity in, in terms of how he he treats his sister. Um, and, and he certainly loves her, and he certainly doesn't mean it in a negative way, but he has that, like, I'm right machismo to him, you know what I mean? And, and so 
we see that, and I think that that's a, a through line. So when we get to that point in Rogue One where he's like, you know, we're friends, aren't we? Like, I don't think he really has an understanding of what that word means. Like, to him, things are almost transactional, you know? And, and I gave you all of this, and, and I sacrificed to abandon you, and you're going to come back here to kill me. Because that, that's what he thinks she's there to do initially, you know? And, and so he's just got a... He's got a, a I don't want to say messed up brain, but I'm going to say messed up brain. He 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 need he's definitely somebody who if we were in the real world there would be red flags going up and be like this guy needs mental health assistance, you know, which I think is is an important thing to have and is not something that we consider with Saw, but I think that this book shows that even more because he does kind of just create the relationships that are convenient to him and when they're not he drops them and and that's kind of a something that that i know at myself you know as somebody who struggles with mental health issues and, and so many people can relate with doing those kind of things where you just kind of you do something because in the moment you think it's the right thing to do and it just seems natural and then you look back on it and you're like oh god what did i do and I kind of wonder if Saw is ever thinking those things when he sees Jin or in those final moments on Jeddah. It's almost like, because I think you're spot on where it's that mental health thing. It's like how they say people who have been abused at a younger age grow up to be abusers themselves. Mm, very good. Point. And it's almost like he was so abused by these different systems and these different war efforts in his life he then went on to be the abuser in just the same exact way. He thought that because he was treated this way as a young man, it's totally normal for other people to have to go through it and have to endure it. Yeah, and and we see that those those tendrils go out, right? Like it's not just it happened to Saw and thus the problem is Saw's to deal with. We see Jin having to deal with it in Rogue One. Um, and, and we see in Inferno Squad, of course, we come back to Inferno Squad, um, that, you know, the Dreamers are still out there continuing his his mission and fighting the Empire. And I think a big question that this book brings about in, in my mind is where is the line between being a rebel and being a terrorist? Right. Because if you. Look from the Empire's point of view, any rebel is a terrorist because, like, that's the propaganda that they're presenting. But, you know, we know people like the Leias and Lukes and Hans and, and even Champs and Doulas are much more freedom fighters and not terrorists. And we would consider Saw to be, to some extent, a terrorist, even though he's, you know, on the side of good. So where where does that line draw? Where's the thing that you can't cross to to go from a uh -huh. rebel to a terrorist? You know what I mean? Like Yeah. Because no, that's that's, that's so, such a good and tough question. You know, because like he does Saw does a lot of good. He just doesn't necessarily use the best tactics, but then you ha also have him, you know, attacking a place where there's children. You have his dreamers bombing a school and sacrificing a teenager in order to do it. Um, and, and so is it the intention? Is it the actual action? Is it the, the repeated action? Like, I don't think it's a question we could answer, but I, th I think it's something that we can dig into. 
I really think we almost see so many different, not variations, but it's it's a spectrum that we see in Rebel Rising too. Uh, one of my favorite parts are really early on in the book when all, all the point, but who turn into the rebels and who turn into the dreamers. And he has these different hordes of people coming and staying with him and going on these missions. And we see such a wide variety of people there in terms of what their intention is and what they're willing to do and how far they're willing to go. And I love, love, love that we see before the rebellion was the rebellion, how certain people were already interested in shaping it and shaping this alliance and organization, whereas others were more interested in those guerrilla attacks and those guerrilla warfares. And this book probably makes it easier than anything else we've seen in Star Wars to answer this question because we have that spectrum so we can stop and say okay so and and again you're gonna have to help me out here because i can i can spell it i can't say that well it's funny because i i have not listened to the the audiobook up to this point i've listened to like the first good all right so So i made this up yeah yeah Um, but then what is it i dress i dress uh yeah 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 she's the one who so early you can tell kind of has these limits and has these bounds, but then we get to, you know, all the way over to Reese and it's just who's willing to do what. And we really get that wide variety and that wider range in this book. So it's probably easier here to be able to answer that question than anywhere else in star Wars, but there's still no good answer though. Yeah. And I, getting to see more of the rebellion being built in rebels and in, in books like this, uh, I think adds a lot to that. You know, even uh, A New Dawn adds a lot to that, seeing a, a younger version of Hera um, and seeing that, for me personally, I think it's like you have to have this set of standards and you have to have a line that you're not willing to cross because as somebody who is not a terrorist, like, I don't really understand that mindset. Like, it's it's crazy to me that somebody would want to live that, that kind of life. But to me, like, a hero on the other side has a line that, like, you're not going to cross. And if you cross, you're going to jump back real quickly. And, and so, for example, Luke Skywalker, right? Again, I'm going to go to the second Death Star because somehow my Star Wars conversations always end up at the second Death Star. He has a line he's not going to cross. He he says, I'm not going to fight you, Father. And he doesn't. Like, if you look, even when they're fighting, he does. Only, he only blocks. He he only defends himself. He never attacks. And and then there, you know, Vader says the thing, sister, so you have a twin sister. And that's, he crosses that line and he goes after him. But he very quickly realizes, like, where that leads to. And he gets right back and throws his lightsaber away. So if we're looking at like a hero and saying the antithesis of that would be like a, a terrorist organization, I think that that's the, the big difference is you have to have that line where like you're not willing to cross it. It's just kind of like, okay, but where is that line? Because if that line's all the way at the end of the spectrum, you can kind of do whatever you want. You know, it, it has to be some kind of reasonable sense and, it, and that brings me back around to Jin, because I see a lot of indoctrination going on here, 
because Jin believes in what his saw is doing, but she doesn't really see where it's heading until it's too late, you know, until they use the, the shrapnel. And, like, she's a teenager, but she's not growing up in a normal situation. She's seen things, and instead of embracing her past and using it to make her better, she leans into that bitterness and hate that you mentioned before, and I think living with Saw just makes that all the easier. So what are we doing to our children if we're living in these extremist environments? I have no idea why I'm remembering this. Um, but there's there's one line in the book where it's it's really early on. So um, Jin is still, you know, eight years old and she had just come to live with Saw. And... It, it sticks out in my mind so much, and I couldn't put my finger on why, but I think you kind of just explained why. She says she's going around looking for Saw, and I can't even remember what she's doing. I think she's she's looking into rooms that she's not sure if she's allowed to go in yet, things like that. And she has the thought, it's an angry Saw is better than no Saw at all. And that kind of encompasses all of this because she not only becomes so used to that extreme extremist and that extreme environment, she seeks it out because to her it's better than abandonment. So I, I don't know. I think that's really kind of what encompasses her and Saw's relationship, that she's okay making him angry and she's okay pushing these buttons as long as that means someone is always going to be there for her. And, and of course, that goes back to, to Galen. And their relationship, it, it's kind of interesting because he is like a father figure for her. But I feel like a lot of their relationship centers around her actual father, you know, centers around Galen. And, again, that's why I think it, it's almost transactional for Saw. You know, he sees, okay, if I... I almost think he thinks it's like a good karma thing. You know, like maybe if I protect this guy's daughter, you know, I can stop the evil that he's doing. I can figure it out. Maybe she's the the key. But I think to her, the thing that really makes that connection for her and, and almost creates that codependency is that moment where she he gives her the scarf to cover up her oh, kyber yeah. crystal. Which, First time I read it through, I thought was just amazing. Second time through, same thing. But, like, my mind was blown <laughs> with – it's Star Wars books and their closed moments. We'll talk about it when we get to, to Leia, Princess of Alderaan. Just blowing my mind. Uh, but seeing how she got that scarf, which seems like just a, an asinine thing to discuss in a book, but it's really powerful how Beth Revis does it. And it's like, here's a young girl who is – just gone through an extremely traumatic experience and one of the next things you imprint onto her is one saw literally pulling her out of the darkness um and then two him giving her protection not just in terms of like physical protection but protecting her identity you know she gets that kyber crystal from her mother and he gives her the scarf to cover it to protect her identity just to tell her like even through the fact that you're going to have to change and you're going to have to become something and someone different because of our situation now, like at the core, you still need to be yourself. 
And so jump forward to act three of Rogue One and we see her stepping back into that that full self. We see her becoming who Galen and Lyra wanted her to be back in Catalyst. Making it the perfect trilogy. It's <laughs> that he wanted. Rogue One is perfect. All of them. Um, I think actually, so the point that he did give her this this scarf also ties in together some of the points that we've mentioned so far. All right, so hear me out. We have him give her this scarf. It's so that she's able to hide herself and her real identity. She's able to protect herself, which has clearly been Saw's goal for her since the time she was, you know, eight years old, five years old, whatever it was. In that he thinks he is showing her love by showing her how to survive on her own. And the scarf is one of those ways to do that. When he realizes that that's not necessarily going to work, he goes on to kill people in his own group in order to protect her. And to him, that, you know, just like we were talking about before, I think he really truly does love her. And he's doing these things to show love. He is teaching her self-defense. He's giving her the scarf. He is now killing people in order to prove that he does love her as this fatherly figure. That also kind of goes back, though, to is he a terrorist and what that line is that he's willing to cross. And you were talking about these heroes before and how they have this clear line. What interests me and what makes Saw a really compelling character is that, in my opinion, heroes are usually heroes because there is one specific person or a group of people that keep them anchored. And their line is, I'm never going to cross this line because I have this person. And this line would harm this person. Whereas Saw does it the exact opposite. And he's more villainous and he's more of a terrorist because he's trying to protect this person. So while he does have this love that's anchoring him back, it's anchoring him in such a negative and dangerous place. So I I really think that the scarf is just one way he that shows this example and shows this cycle that Saw ends up getting himself into. Yeah, that's a good point. And maybe one way they could have improved that a little bit is showing kind of how he gets to the point that he ends up in in Rogue One. I think that's the biggest failure with I shouldn't even say it's really the only failure I see with this character is in Rogue One, we see him taking oxygen. We see him basically being the 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 rebellion's Darth Vader uh, to, to some extent, you know, more machine than man. And in all the extra material that we get, we don't really get anything about how he ended up like that, which, I mean, Rogue One's kind of done and gone. I don't feel like they're going back there, so it's not like... We're going to get it in the future. I think it would have been really great if we slowly see that deterioration happen. Um, and, and maybe Jin notices it. And that's another thing that she kind of just like, oh, this happened to Saw and, and, and his eye color changed. And, you know, use the eyes as a window to a soul. I don't know. But I think that would have been really interesting to see kind of that 
deterioration so that when we get to the time of, you know, Jin is being abandoned by him, he is not the same saw that she was saved by on on Lamu. That would have been really cool. And up till this point, I kind of did always hope that we would have seen that. But now that you say it out loud, you're probably right. They seem pretty done with some of these characters. Uh, we could always go back to it in the Cassie and Andor show. Oh, uh, that's a good point. I don't know, though, because the impression that I got, and maybe tonight when I rewatch it while I'm snowed in, I'll maybe pick up on something different. But the impression I got from Cassian was that him and Saw had never really met or interacted or anything like that. So I don't know if we will, but I think if we do ever get that full story with Saw and how he got to the point, that's where it's going to be. I don't think there's anything in there that technically stops it from happening. And, of course, this is Star Wars. People can fall down pits, cut in half, and come back, you know, eight years later. But I, he says he need, they need an end to Saw because, uh, you know, Saw and his people would kill any of them on site because they're not, like, with them. The impression that I got is just that they needed an in. I do get the impression that they don't know Saw, but I don't think it's like something that's like set in stone. You know? It's not it's something that can yeah, be Yeah, definitely retro. open for And it could be interesting different. to see like Saw, you know, in a rebel style adventure, you know, in the Cassian Andor show where they don't necessarily want to team up, but they have to team up to kind of, you know, survive the day. And he screws the rebellion once again, kind of thing. Uh, that'd be, that would be cool. I would like that. But I think if we get anything from Saw on the show, it might just be some, some mentions or discussions about him, something like that. It'll be so cool to see how that show lines up with the rebels because they I I'm really looking forward to that one. I think I might actually be looking forward to Cassian a little bit more than uh The Mandalorian to be honest. I don't know the the Mandalorian's sooner. So <laughs> I'm kind of yeah, like what's the next thing that's coming out? Master and Apprentice? That's what I'm excited for. Oh god, yeah. We're almost there. We're hey, almost there. We we cannot go an episode without mentioning master and apprentice let's see how does master and apprentice connect to rebel rise no i'm just kidding um <laughs> give us time we'll do it we will do it we'll, we'll find a way um i actually just listened uh yesterday to claudia gray was on what the force and if you're not listening to that show and you did clashing sabers you definitely need to head over there and uh and and check out uh, Marie Claire Gold's show, it's fantastic. And, of course, Claudia Gray is the bomb. So, yeah, jump over there, check the check that episode out, and, and hopefully one day we can... Hopefully one day we can get in the big leagues like that and talk to Claudia Gray or Delilah Dawson or anybody, help me, please, I'm poor. Um, <laughs> help me, I'm poor. Um, okay, so w- one of the other questions that this book uh, brings up for me, because... It's such a central idea of the entire story of Rogue One, of that early rebellion time. I mean, of the rebellion overall, because rebellions are built on hope, but hope. And what does it take to keep hope alive? 
because we get a lot of different points of view in this book. We get a lot of different people, like you said, across the spectrum who have lines they're willing to cross, who don't have lines, who, you know, are willing to do anything. To some extent, they all have to have some hope that what they're going to do is going to have an impact. So what does it take for our characters to be able to keep that hope alive, even in these dark times? I would say, especially for Jen, and it could just be because we're seeing this over such a wide time span and such a crucial moment in her development, you know, eight years old, 14 years old and older, that's a pretty important time for a young woman. But I would say the underlying theme of keeping hope alive in this book would be constant change. And maybe that what sparks that little bit of hope and what kicks this all off on day one, it's going to change by day 100. And that's okay. I think that the motivation for hope should be ever evolving. So this way you never just you're never able to give up. There's always something new to work for and always something new to look forward to. So whether her hope lies in finding her father and proving that he's not a traitor or her hope lies in helping Saw out and proving that, yeah, he's right and she's good on these missions or then eventually she has this new family and she needs to protect her family. She always has something new to hope for. And we could probably really look at any one of these future dreamers and say, okay, so even though this was always their main goal, this was the new things that kept kickstarting that hope for them. So it's kind of like the carrot in front of the horse kind of deal. Yeah, pretty much. So that's, that, yeah, that's an analogy. That, that brings up the question because like in our own world, we have the experiences of like, always oh when i get this i'll be happy and then you're not happy so you go oh when i get this i'll be happy and you know does it work the same way you know like could it be something that could hope be something that is detrimental if it's something that you never can fully actualize i would say the opposite i'd say it's detrimental if you are able to fully realize it. Um, I'm a big Mad Men, Mad Men fan, the TV show. I really, really love that show. And there's this great line in that series along the lines of, um, you know, that's the problem with getting your dreams. You get them and you realize how limited your dreams were. And one of the cool things about Star Wars and about this theory of hope here is you can get there and then continue to dream and continue to hope and keep going and going and going. Okay. So let's bring it back around to the last Jedi because then there's a, the major connection to the last Jedi there, right? Like hope like Leia, who we're going to come back to in a minute, who is literally the beacon of hope through the whole trilogy, through the whole saga. Um, You know, if we make that connection to Padme, gives up hope for the first time like hope is gone hope has left the galaxy and then luke is able to re-inspire that hope and go out and re-inspire it in the whole galaxy so is hope ever something that can really die is it something that's always going to live on 
because we have these stories, these in our world, the Star Wars is and the Harry Potters and the Lord of the Rings, you know, and in, in the galaxy far, far away, the Luke Skywalkers and Han Solos and Princess Leia's is, is hope something that can ever truly be snuffed out. I don't think it is. I really don't. I mean, let's break down probably one of the most important lines of The Last Jedi since we're there now anyway. You know, we are the spoke that will light the fire that will burn the First Order down. You know, he's not saying, hey, let's go out and do this really big thing all by ourselves. He's saying, no, let's let's create this snowball effect. We're just the spark. This is going to light something else, and this is going to cause more people to hope. And once more people hope, they'll start to make these actions, and then even more people will have this hope. So I don't think that hope is really anything that can be totally snuffed out by any means. I think as long as you keep giving that per- people a little bit of spark, it's just going to keep growing and growing and growing and have that snowball. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you, which is why it's really, I think it's really interesting. You know, if you look at Snoke and you look at Palpatine, they're, they're trying to, to snuff out that hope. Snoke says it directly. Like as long as Sky, Skywalker lives, there's hope. Uh, for the for the Jedi and that's such a big theme that they've kind of centered Star Wars around I, I think it's always kind of been centered around that but I think the Disney era has really like pushed that particular narrative and so that brings me back around to Leia because I think there's a major connection between Leia and Jin in that Going back to our last episode, or, or our Clashing Sabers episode, that'll come out uh, next week as of the time of this recording. Uh, we talked about dualities, and I think Leia and Jin are kind of a duality in that Leia manages to do so well in keeping hope alive when Jin so tragically fails at it. I don't even know if Jin so much fails at it. It's just that she's so reluctant to it. It's almost like she's nervous to keep hoping because every time she does, it gets taken away. You know, she eventually comes to accept, all right, my father's working for the Empire. Then Saw abandoned me. This terrible thing happened to my new family. It's almost like she's reluctant to keep hoping because she maybe feels like she's a bit of a jinx at this point. Well, and she says in Rogue One, it's not a problem if you don't look up. Yeah, yeah. And, and she, she's really the reluctant hero, whereas Leia holds her head up so high and she thinks, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to carry this torch. I'm willing to do this for other people and I want it to be known even if it's difficult. Yeah, and I th- thought it was pretty interesting because like Leia literally sees her whole fam- her whole planet blow up in front of her face. On a much smaller scale, Jin loses multiple families you know and, and really everyone important in her life you have the situation with you know vader being leia's father and we see kind of how she struggles with that and deals with that in bloodline and you have Jin's issues with her father but you know where leia is saying okay i've been through all of this stuff i'm going to become kind of the the poster child of let's not give up let's not give out give up on the hope Jin kind of goes the opposite direction and she's like just trying to survive you know it's not a problem if you don't look up which to some extent this is, this is going to be blasphemous 
to some extent almost makes her more heroic than Leia in what she does in the third act of Rogue One. Because by the time we we get to the end of this book and by the time we get to the beginning of Rogue One, like she's in a prison. She's completely given up hope. We we see in this book she her her cellmate is like threatening to kill her and she's like okay like if it happens it happens like do it please yeah like i'll get out of prison at least you know so i I think the dichotomy between the two is really intriguing let's play what if then because it's it's i like what ifs all right it really does seem like it is the case for nature versus nurture here where nurture is so important because in reality you know when we were talking about catalyst it was so clear that Jin is the daughter of two prodigies in the same way Leia was, you know, obviously at a very different scale and prodigies in different things, but they both came from a set of incredibly gifted parents. Difference now being Leia grew up in this very, I don't even want to say lavish lifestyle, but it was clear that she had so much love in her life. Her adopted parents truly, truly loved her. We see it in, um, obviously, Princess of Alderaan, but we even see it as early as Ahsoka. And it just goes on and on. Whereas Jin, we can see here pretty much the exact opposite. You know, I I truly believe Saul loved her, but he had such a harsh way of showing it. What do you think would have happened if the Empire hadn't found Galen and Lyra? And they had been able to raise Jin. Do you think Jin would have eventually gone on to join the rebellion? Do you think she would have understood how evil the empire was? Or do you think that they would have just stayed in their own little um, vacuum of their world? I think they would have just stayed in their own little vacuum of their world. I think she would have been extremely sheltered. Um with the best of intentions, but I, I think they would have tried to hide that as much as they could. And the question is, like, could they? Because we know the Empire goes around, and if a planet has something worthwhile, they're going to tear it to pieces to get it. And Lamu is apparently a farming planet, uh, you know, from what we see in the beginning of Rogue One, and we've seen in Ahsoka what they do to farming planets. Um, so... I think it's as much a question of, like, could they shelter? I think if they had the choice, they would definitely, like, shelter her. And it would have just... They would have been your small-town farm family who lives in the same town. And she, you know, grows up and gets married to the boy next door kind of deal. But then if the Empire comes in, I think that that story completely changes. And I think that's because Lyra would finally convince Galen, like just sitting out is not enough like we have to actually do something so that our daughter has a galaxy to grow up in so it's definitely a like it could go two very different ways um but then you also throw on top of that like does the empire have the death star and how does that change the situation because if they don't have the death star like they can't rule by fear we see that that you know, the the rebels are able to rise up and hold on until those those last moments where they destroy the second Death Star. So it's, it's definitely an interesting situation because really, like you said, this is the 
Jin and Cassian and, and Baze and Chirrut and everybody, Rogue One is that spark. So, like, what do they do if they don't have that spark that really lights everything on fire? And does the rebellion really even get its feet underneath it? Like, because Jin is is extremely important. Yeah, it's it's so tough. I mean, I really think that the differentiator here would have been Lyra because I think Lyra would have grown pretty tired of that lifestyle pretty quickly. And she has such that deep spiritual connection that she would have passed on to Jin pretty early on. Yeah. And I don't know, I could kind of see Lyra taking Jin to join the rebellion and things almost staying the same way. I think it would have happened maybe even faster if Lyra had survived. No, I think Lyra would have played it safe. I think she worked hard enough in Catalyst to get Galen to actually leave. Um, she at, at that point, she was all about protecting what she had and what they had as their, their family. I think you have to actually have the Empire come and take all of them and successfully do so or excuse me unsuccessfully do so or have the empire come and do something to their planet or maybe somebody close to them like there has to be make it personal yeah it has to get personal um and, and then yeah and and then like if you think about okay lyra is very much a a disciple of the force albeit not a jedi so how does that end up impacting Luke's story. You know, he has somebody there who, somebody else who believes in the Force um, and, and who has a kyber crystal and who knows the lore of the Jedi. Um, there's huge ramifications if, if, they, if they live. Yeah. Man, so much to think about. <sighs> Star Wars is good, guys. Star Wars is Star- really good. Star Wars is good. All right, so something for everyone. So I have one final, very, very important question. Which, All right, let's hear it. So, Jin is really good at being a code replicator, right? Mm-hmm. They get to Scarif, and what do they need? They need the clearance codes. Yes, thank you. Why doesn't Jin just? Ugh, why doesn't yes. Jin just get a code replicator? Like. She she either A, always has one with her, or B, apparently these things are like a dime a dozen. I can't believe that a rebellion that is l- like, we've seen them steal Imperial shuttles before. We've seen them steal Imperial codes before. They're just like, mm, I don't know. What will we do? Guess we'll just wish us the best of luck. Like, they couldn't have stole a code replicator before? What? Yeah, especially because Rebel Rising 2 was really the first time I ever remember thinking, oh, getting these codes was hard. Because you're so every single time we have ever needed codes in Star Wars, oh yeah, we got them. Yeah, like they're just sitting out on the table. Like yeah, somebody puts yeah. their coffee on them and forgot oh to Oh my God, back that's so funny you mentioned that. Yeah, because I remember the first time I read it when... They were talking about her being good at making these codes. <laughs> I thought they're going. Wait, was that a thing? 
was that a thing someone needed to be good at? I, it makes sense, but we had never seen it before, and we certainly could have used that skill in Rogue One. Right, and, and like, honestly, I didn't even think about this till the second time through. It, it just always kind of, it was one of those things where I was like, hmm, that's weird. Okay, I don't know why that doesn't sit right with me, but there's something off there, but whatever. It doesn't really impact the story. I mean, her code replicating does, but my bad feeling about this doesn't. And And this time through, I was like, Oh, they needed codes in Rogue One, and she just like, I mean, I get the moment in the movie, you know, she touches the kyber crystal, she's putting her faith in the force, yada, 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 like it's an important story moment, I'm not gonna sit here and, you know, create a YouTube channel all about how Rogue One is the worst movie because it's got plot holes in it, um... (laughs) Yeah, I just thought that that, that people, was really Would people do something like that? I don't think so. Not in the Star Wars fandom. No. No. Everyone's so positive all the time. And rational. Very <laughs> rational. Oh, God. Um, shout out to everybody who's positive in the Star Wars fandom. You know who you are. We love you. Keep being you. Uh, so, Lindsay, do you have any other thoughts that you wanted to dig into uh, with Rebel Rising? No, just it seems to me like Rebel Rising is perfect for people like me who felt like Rogue One was a little lacking and it really amps up that story a little bit and makes Rogue One a little bit better. If you're someone like Brandon, though, who loves Rogue One and that's your jam, maybe this isn't quite as essential for you. Um, Um, But I mean, it's still a fun read. I really enjoyed it. I'm going to have to argue with my former self. <laughs> yes. I, m- my mind okay. has been changed, and I, I, think Rogue, I, th- I think Rogue One is essential. Rogue One is essential. Uh, I think Rebel Rising is uh, essential reading if you want to get more into the characters. Um, this conversation really opened up a lot of things that I hadn't thought about before. Um, one of the things I really liked about this book is it did create a lot of questions for me. And I think that's one of the great things about star Wars. Like we have questions like what's a rebel, what's a terrorist, where's that line? There's no answer to that. Like you ask 500 people, you're going to get 450 different responses. Um, you know, it's one of those things like, well, you know it when you see it. Right. But star Wars challenges us to ask like, what's the real, what's the real, concrete answer behind these sort of things and i think that this book really digs into into that a lot more so i i changed my tune i i I dig it good i'm i'm glad you're appreciating this book for the necessity that it is the rogue one trilogy what they need to release like a box set oh Oh, that'd be cool oh man and like you know how sometimes they they like make the three spines so that it makes like a picture or something or makes somebody's face yeah that would be cool what if that it like, would be sick what if it made a death star <gasps> dun, dun, dun. lucasfilm hit me up i'm Listen cheap to us please my, my we ro- have good ideas we we really do i mean as we've said before i'm pretty much the best thing in star wars fandom so I mean, hey, other people online seem to. Oh my God. Please do not stroke my ego. (laughs) If this is your first time listening to the show, I do not think as highly of myself as I say I think of myself. But I think as highly of Brandon as he says he thinks of himself. Well, thank you. Uh, it, It is fun. And 
seriously though, like with some of the, I, I don't want to get really get into this because that's not what we're about. But with some of the, uh, just kind of some of the garbage that's been happening with some of the the major movers and shakers in the fandom lately i just wanted to to give a special shout out and say thank you to people like neil lowry unmistakably star wars sky talkers uh blast points wampa's lair like we talk about all the negativity and fandom going on you know but there's so much positivity even people who who maybe have disagreeing viewpoints you know i know Foden b don't agree on everything san diego sabers uh, disagree on a whole bunch of stuff, but like, guys, it's Star Wars. Let's uh, let's get back to talking about the stories yeah. and not the made-up rumors. And I and think drama. the best thing we can do is, and I think we're pretty good about it on this podcast and the main podcast, really just this channel in general, is something uh, I think we try really consciously to do is those negative people and those negative channels who like to stir up this drama in the fandom don't even say their names you know you're you're giving them publicity right there and you're adding fuel to the fire right there instead let's take any energy we could have done on that and let's focus on celebrating the people who are positive and let's get their names out there and let's really boost up those guys and just raise the level of discourse yeah absolutely and I mean, come over to our Facebook network or our Facebook group and and share any of those that I might not have mentioned. There's, I, I think we get this point of view because it's talked about so much. It's just over and over and over again that like all of Star Wars fandom is really terrible. And really, it's just this really loud vocal part of like YouTube, I think, is really the the real issue. And there's so much other fan created content out there. If you're wanting that, you know, there's amazing fan edit videos on YouTube. There's like more, it would be a whole podcast episode just to name the amount of amazing star Wars podcasts out there with people who are like super duper positive. Um, so yeah, I just, I wanted to give a shout out to all those people. Uh, I, I know I'm missing some of you, so we love you all. Thank you for the love and support that you've given us. And I've kind of been awkwardly staring at something at my desk because I noticed I have, you know, those, uh, they come out with them at Christmas times. They're like the, the cups, the character cups, and they have like hot chocolate in their head. Oh like yeah. Weird, it's like a goblet mug. I have a Yoda one of that. Nice. He, he's got two toes. <gasps> he's got three fingers, but then there's an really awkward, it looks like a third foot. I don't know what it's supposed to huh? be. It's in between the middle. Of, it, it's in between his other two feet. I don't know what it's supposed to be. Let's, this is this is a family, fr- <laughs> family I'm just, friendly podcast. I'm just saying we might have to really make sure we're paying attention when we rewatch these uh, these uh, movies. Just just saying. Just in case. Just there might be a little bit more there than you really want to see. You might actually find out what species Yoda is. I'm just saying. Or or maybe you do want to see it. We don't know what you're into. Hey, you know what? Again, we love and support everyone. (laughs) Okay? You you go live your best life, boo. Go live your best life. All right. Do you. Uh, (laughs) So to wrap it up, uh, wrapping up our Rogue One trilogy here, uh, even though we're doing only two episodes because we didn't talk about the Rogue One novelization, let's finish off doing our rating, one through five, but this time we're not going to do Lothcats. It is appropriate that we will do Death Stars. 
So, Ooh, Lindsay, right. I think you went first last time, so I will go first this time. And I am going to have to give this three first Death Stars and a second Death Star, but a non-operational second Death Star. Because I think Ooh, it's a really solid I, I book. like that way of doing it. I think it's a, it really opens up a lot of doors for us. Right? <laughs> I know. I know. It's, it's, I'm, I'm creative like that. Um, I think it adds a lot to the story. I think talking about that and kind of thinking through it as we were talking really opened my eyes up to that um, a little bit more, which takes it a lot closer to a, a four than it was before. But again, I think you can... I think you can survive and get the full story of Rogue One and understand everything you need to understand without this book. But just like Catalyst, this adds to your understanding of the characters and the situations. Yeah, very well put. Um, I would give it the full four Death Stars for really the reasons you mentioned. It is It gives so much depth to the characters. Is it essential or not? That's really up for debate and how you already felt about the characters. The reason I think it's a little bit higher up for me because I thought originally I would put it at maybe three only because as a book, I think it's lacking a few things. You know, there's no real clear antagonist, anything like that. But it is so essential for one of my all-time favorites, which is Inferno Squad. And I think for the connections to Inferno Squad alone, give this an extra Death Star. So I'm going to keep it at that uh, that four, which is a little higher than I originally thought I would. Everything comes back to Inferno Squad. Episode nine, guys, is going to come back to Inferno Squad. I'm just saying. It's going to happen. Oh, I got my uh, my photo ops. I didn't tell you this. I got my photo ops for uh, Janine <gasps> Gavankar at Celebration. No. Yeah. Yeah, I totally forgot to tell you. Oh, my. You're going to be a crying mess. Oh, I am. I'm oh, going to be a crying mess out. just seeing the pictures. Yeah. You should yeah. You should totally um, sneak one of our business cards in her, her little pocket there. And just be ooh, like, I should. Yeah. Just well, like, I've got the Inferno Squad tattoo also, so I'm going to see if I can wear like a tank top that day and get her in a picture with that. That would be so badass. Right? Ask her if she wants to come on the show. All right, I will. I, we don't even have to come on the show. We can just give her like an hour to talk about whatever she wants to talk about. <laughs> I will press record and just sit yes. there and listen. Have you listened to the Inferno Squad uh, audiobook? I shouldn't. I think I have a free trial on Audible, though. I should use it for that. I've listened to part of it. I, I borrowed it from the library uh, through one of the digital digital uh, apps that they have where you can you know, check out books, which is it's so weird. I guess they only have like a couple licenses because there's only a certain amount that can be checked out at a time. And, of course, Inferno Squad was on this wait list, and I got it, and then completely forgot to re- to listen to it uh, so i, I got to go back and, and get it but i know uh i know she reads the book and she does and i mean talk about positivity in the fandom and a beacon of hope she is all encompassing oh yeah absolutely she is she's great she's great she's awesome so anyways uh yeah that's the show guys we're done next book will be what is our next book actually we have phasma next i think you like- I think that is the next you- one. I don't know. Maybe we just skip it. I don't know. Are you a fan of Phasma? 
Oh, you know, I doubt. Yes, I'm a fan of that. <laughs> oh, I have Bring thoughts. Bring it on. I, have I couldn't thoughts. even I couldn't even pretend for too long. I have like whole diagrams drawn out about oh, it's it's going to be on. So make sure you stay tuned oh, to that uh, for the next episode. Again, if if we are not on a network that you or a, a podcasting app that you know you're listening to, your friends are listening to, anything like that, please shoot us an email over at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com or hit me up over on Twitter at ClashingSabers um, so I can get things up and running there. Uh, we kind of were having some audio issues for a while, so that was kind of taking up my time trying to figure that out. But those are handled now, so um, I really want to make sure that we're getting out there and uh, spreading our community because this really is like, yeah, we have our shows, we have our Facebook group, we have our articles, and those are all like things that we do. But also, Clashing Sabers is a community, and we uh, we appreciate all of you. Um, so yeah, follow us over on Twitter at Clashing Sabers, Clashing Sabers Network at gmail.com for any comments you want to send, um, any thoughts you want to send. Subscribe, rate, review, all those things that I'm supposed to say at the end of a show. And Lindsay, go. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Miss Lindsay G, or on Instagram on Full Force Lindsay. And again, check out the Facebook group. I know we had mentioned it before, but there's just so many positive things going. People are putting on some awesome work. Um, I don't know about you, but whenever someone posts like a blog post that they worked on or something, I love digging into that and seeing what people are saying. So great supporting positive community there. Go check it out. Yeah, absolutely. And until next time, when we talk about uh, an okay novel uh, called Phasma. (laughs) I can't even be serious about it. No, it's so good. Oh my God. Anyways, um, until next time, keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text. All right, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff, our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So, if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and dadgummit, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text. <laughs>